Person, I uh, head out the back, and Mr. Greg will have a super fun time with you there. So, staying here. Okay. So, uh, good morning. Uh, I forgot to welcome any guests and visitors. It's not because we love you, because I am remarkable. And uh, we do love you more so than I feel. My name is Brandon Scott, pastor here at the Vine Community Church, and uh, just happy to be here. So. Like I said earlier, I don't know what your week has held, uh, but whatever it's held, we're jumping into uh, John today. So we're we're now through. Uh, last week, I lowered the sphere and did this beautiful picture of redemption. It was we were here last week. It was just amazing. Uh, the, the the testimony of how God rescued him and continues to use him to to, to rescue other other people from uh, from the slavery of sin and of uh, addiction. It was glorious. It was just redemptive. And today, we are going to be in chapter 19 of the book of John. We'll be in verses uh, 28 through 37. And for after today, we're going to take a pause, and then we're going to go through through Advent through December, and then we will pick up John again in, in January. So, we're going to end this year in John with, with Jesus dead. That is where we're going to leave it. And then we'll pick it up in January with Jesus in the tomb. I mean, spoiler alert, he didn't stay there for all, but uh, glory, glory in the highest. But we're going to leave John and then jump into, uh, into Advent. We're going to look into uh, the, the, the promises uh, through the book of Isaiah that are given were given to us so long ago and that are fulfilled in, in the Messiah, Jesus Christ. So, Let's just jump into it here. So last uh, last time when, when Trev left us, Jesus has been crucified. So many prophecies have been fulfilled from the dividing of his garments and the casting of lots, and and uh, Jesus has has given the care of his mother Mary over to John. And this is the end of the. Human life of the incarnate Son of God. So it's kind of uh, weighty. It's a heavy text. And so let's pray before we jump into it. Jesus, we, we talk to you today as a risen Savior. But in order to be a risen Savior, you had to die. And that is what we will look at today and what you accomplished on the cross. Uh, we come to you as, as people who are in constant need, constant physical need, emotional need, spiritual need. Uh, we have social needs and, and physical needs. We, we are desperately needy. And, and the, the level of achievement that the, this body has done in, in, in what we are capable of is remarkable in the, in the public forum, but every person here comes to you equally in need of a Savior, in need of redemption. 
need of hope, in need of joy, in need of life. So we come to you today, Lord Jesus, and we ask for your help. We ask for your help in understanding this text. We ask for the power of the Holy Spirit to apply the truth that you teach us today to our lives. That we may not simply be hearers of the word and so delude ourselves, but that we would be hearers and doers of the word of God. And so live out the joyful promises that we have in you. Help us, Lord Jesus. I pray for every person in here that you are opening eyes of their soul, their mind, their heart to what you want to teach them today. Lord, encourage them today. Pray for my own mouth that the words would come forth of it would bring honor to you, O Lord. We come before you with great gratitude. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So here we are in John 19, 28. And it says, Later, knowing that all was not completed and that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant, and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, It is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath, because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. They asked Pilate to have the legs broken and the bodies taken down. The soldiers, therefore, came and broke the legs of the first man who had been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear, bringing a sudden flow of blood and water. The man who saw it has given testimony, and his testimony is true. He knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies so that you may believe. These things happen so that the scriptures will be fulfilled, and one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one they have pierced. So as we look in uh, 28 here, let's go 28 kind of through 30 at the moment. Later, knowing that all is now completed. So Jesus, of course, is, is knows that he's going to die, knows that he's going to raise from the dead, he knows all of this. It was now finished. And so that the scripture would be fulfilled, he said, I am, I am thirsty. And there was a, in Psalm 69, 21, it said they gave him wine vinegar to drink. And it was, uh, it was probably some sort of a, a sour wine that the, the, the soldiers often drank. And so there's a jar there. And Jesus says, I'm thirsty. And they take this sponge and soak it in this wine vinegar. And they put it on the stalk of a hyssop plant and lick it to his lips. And Jesus puts the sponge in his mouth and draws this liquid out and drinks. Uh, why did he do that? He was dying and he was thirsty. But he had something left to say. It says, when you receive the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. And uh, several verses of the Bible have an it is finished with an exclamation point. Mark says, does not say record it is finished, but says, he cried out with a loud voice and then gave up his spirit. But I think the exclamation point is probably better expresses what was going on. I do not think that Jesus uh, whispered these words. 
I think that he shouted them in victorious triumph. It is finished, he says in verse 30. None of the synoptic uh, writers have this phrase in here. There's a whole bunch of things that they have about the death of Jesus that John just simply leaves out. But John writes this phrase in here, it is finished, which was a, not an uncommon phrase. They found uh, old, old papyrus uh, um, bills that have been canceled. It uh, means paid in full. It is finished. And then at the end of that, it says, with that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. The importance of that, which we've talked about all throughout this book of John. Uh, Jesus did not lose a battle here with evil people, and they killed him. He bows his own head and gives up his own life. Jesus surrendered his life on the cross. It wasn't that evil was victorious over Jesus. It was that Jesus willingly gave his life of his own volition and of his own choosing. And before he said that, he said, it is finished. And we're going to get more into that in just a minute. Verse 31, it says, now it was the day of preparation, and the next day was to be a special Sabbath. So this is the Passover, and it was going to be a, a, a larger Sabbath celebration than normal. So they had a lot of work to do. We're still on Friday here, and the Sabbath was going to start at sundown. So it says, because the Jews did not want the bodies left on the crosses during the Sabbath. And the reason is that is because in, uh, in Deuteronomy chapter 21, they make this, uh, it's, this it's amazing. Because it's just mentioned this one time, really, that this anybody left on a tree is a, is a curse. And so they did not want Jesus' body left on there because it says that it will be a curse on the land. And they didn't want the land cursed during their Passover Sabbath. So they're more than willing to stick to the minutia of the law as they joyously murder the Son of God. Remarkable, that juxtaposition. But because they didn't want the bodies left on there, they had to ask Pilate, because they had no authority to do it on their own. They asked Pilate, hey, break the legs so they will die. The reason they had to do that is because when they were crucified, you were usually crucified through your, through your, uh, your ankle bones, and there was a little uh, hunk of wood where they could lift themselves up on to breathe. So generally what caused the death in a crucifixion was actually a, a asphyxiation, when they no longer had the strength to pick themselves up to draw a breath then they would asphyxiate. So they would break their legs, they would take an iron mallet or an iron bar and shatter their legs so they couldn't pick themselves up anymore, and then they would they would uh, die of uh, asphyxiation. It's brutal. Brutal. I mean, it's inhumane to do that to a person already suffering. So they asked Pilate to do that, and of course he says, fine. The soldiers therefore came and broke the legs of the first man who'd been crucified with Jesus, and then those of the other. Just as a brief aside, one of these guys says that. One of these guys gets his leg broken and dies right next to Jesus. And then he goes to be with him. Isn't that amazing? This is not the end for that man. But when they came to Jesus and found that he was already dead, they didn't break his legs. Instead, one of the soldiers pierced the side of the spear, runs up, pierced the side of the spear, and a sudden flow of blood and water come out. So a lot has been made of this, but the the point that John writes this is that when they come to Jesus, one, he's already dead. Like the soldiers have been around a lot of dead guys. And they see that he's dead. And so instead of the work of trying to break a man's legs with an iron bar, it's easier just to poke him in the spear of the heart. Just to check. Because you need to really, really tired 
If something stabs you in the heart with a spear, you're going to die. Look at verse 35. He says, the man who saw it, John is talking about himself, has given testimony. He said what he saw. And his testimony is true. John's saying, listen, I'm writing this. I saw it. This is true. I saw what happened. Then it says, he knows that what he tells, or he knows that he tells the truth. And he testifies. I mean, John could not be more clear in saying, listen, I saw this. I'm telling you I saw it. I know that what I saw is true. And I'm telling you that I know that what I saw is true. Why? So that you also may believe. John had to believe too. He wrote the entire Gospel of John so that we would believe it's true. That is the entire point of it. And then verse 36 says, These things happen so that the Scripture would be fulfilled and that one of his bones will be broken. <clears throat> that even refers back to a, kind of a, 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 a strange reference in Psalm about his leg not being broken. Or it may refer back to, probably more likely to, Remember the Passover lamb, they had to take this lamb, and they, uh, this is a, a, like a baby sheep, and they brought it into their home, and then they would kill the lamb, and they would sacrifice the lamb, and spread the blood over the, over the doorpost, and then the lamb was to be eaten all at, all at one meal, and there would be this whole process with the Passover meal. But in the command is that none of the bones of the lamb would be broken. I think that's probably a reference back to that the bones of the Passover lamb were not to be broken. Now, if you want to talk about Jesus' ability to control a situation, he's already dead, and yet he's in full control. No other man can do that. What human control does he have over whether or not they smash his legs? Zero, because dead. Dead guys don't have any. They can't do anything, because that's what dead means. It means you can't do anything anymore. But not one of his bones be broken. So that scripture is fulfilled. There's some guys have calculated that it's like a there's 380 some odd a specific prophecies about Jesus in the Old Testament that were fulfilled in him as one man. And that the, the I don't know how to calculate these things, but that the probability of him of one man fulfilling all those prophecies in the lifetime of Jesus is like one in 84 with like 98 zeros behind it. I don't even know what that number is. You probably Google it, but it's huge, astronomical. No one could do the things that Jesus had done. Verse 37, as another scripture says, they will look on the one day of Pierce, and with that, we're going to jump back into Zechariah chapter 12. So if you flip back past Matthew, you'll hit Malachi, and keep turning, you'll hit Zechariah. Incredible book. The, uh, the men on the night just finished studying the minor prophets. It's fantastic. Gosh, it was good. I would encourage you to read through those, especially with Mike Fox in the room. He's super helpful. You can just read Hebrew, so that's nice. And then, so in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10, it says this Now pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced. 
And they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be great, like the weeping of Hadad-Rimah, and on the plain of Megiddo, the land will mourn, each clan by itself, and their wives by themselves, and the clan of the house of David and their wives, and Nathan and their wives, and the clan of Levi, and all these people and the rest of the clans and their wives. This is a, a prophecy that Israel will look on their Messiah, the one they have pierced, and they will understand what they have done, and they will mourn for him. That they have, the nation of Israel is, they're not mourning there yet, but they are looking on the one they have pierced. This is a fulfillment of that prophecy. This is Israel, the nation of Israel, looking to their Messiah whom they have pierced. I want you to jump forward to me, with me, excuse me, the book of Revelation, chapter 1. I seem to often end up in Revelation while we're going through John. I and mean, you wrote both books, so, you know, um, there's a lot of connections there. I want you to look at uh, chapter 1, verse, uh, we'll be in the, kind of the middle of chapter, verse 5, 1, verse 5. No, I'm going to start at verse 4. It says, John of the seven churches in the provinces of Asia, grace and peace to you from him who is and who was and who is to come. From the seven spirits, before the throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, and ruler of the kings of the earth. To him who loves us, and has freed us from our sins by his blood, and has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. Wow, there's a lot in there. Let's keep reading. To him be glory and power forever and ever. Amen. This is verse 7. Look, he is coming with the clouds. And every eye will see him. Every eye. Not just the eyes of the nation of Israel. Even those who pierced him. And all the people of the earth will mourn because of him. It's not just the tribes and the clans of Israel anymore. All the peoples of the earth will mourn because they have pierced Jesus. Isn't it amazing that the second coming of Jesus... And the book of Revelation opens, it looks back to what happens on the cross. But the world will see Jesus, will understand that it was their fault that he died. And then they will mourn what happened. Let's go back to John. What do we do with all this information? I'm chewing up a copper out of Okay. What do we do with the information, right? Well, one, there are four things that I kind of pulled out of here. There's a lot more in here, but one is that Jesus is dead. Okay? He's not dead now, but in the story, where we are in John, Jesus is very clearly dead. There are theories of what happened, and people try to explain away why Jesus died, and, and, and there's a theory called the swoon theory, in which Jesus uh, uh, apparently did not actually die on the cross, but he just passed out, and so when they put him in the tomb, he was able to revive himself, and then roll, three days later, roll away a thousand pound stone and come out looking like he was awesome. I'm not going to even get over a cold in a week. Uh, and Jesus, having been uh, beaten, and, and brutally tortured by flogging, 
having a large portion of the skin of his back torn off, and then crucified, and then stabbed in the heart with a spear, is just supposed to have just taken a nap. Um, it's, I mean, if I can just be blood, it's a ridiculous excuse of men so that they don't have to accept the reality of a, of a risen Jesus. People clawing for reasons to somehow deny the reality of what has happened. Jesus is dead. Everybody there knew he was dead. Everybody who saw it knew he was dead. John knows he's dead. The guy who stabbed him in the heart knows he's dead. They all know that he's dead. Why is that important? One is that it, it, it proves Jesus' humanity. See, Jesus is fully man and fully God. And that's incredibly important in the book of John. You cannot read the book of John with any sort of reasonable thought process and come away with the thought that Jesus has not claimed to be God. He claims it over and over and over and over and over again in this book. Jesus is the incarnate Son of Man. He's got his skin on him. He's fully man and fully God. This is the, his humanity dies here. That has to do with the veracity of the scripture, right? Whether or not what the Bible says is true. The Bible says he was dead. It says he was already dead. It's very important that what the Bible says is true, and there's, there's been no text more criticized than the Bible, ever. And yet it remains true because it's the living word of God. So it proves his humanity, which is going to be very important for heresies that are going to pop up soon in the early church, like Gnosticism and, and, and all these other heresies that come up and said, well, maybe Jesus wasn't really a man. He was just God sort of in the appearance. Go back and study if you want to, if you're super bored. And you want to look at all the heresies. You see him today, by the way. There's nothing new under the sun. Anytime a cult pops up, it's just an old heresy that someone already came up with. But that was not new to this game. It's very important that Jesus died because it proves his humanity. It's very important that Jesus dies because his death was a penalty for sin. See, Romans says that all of sin is both short of the glory of God, right? But eternal life is the gift of God in Christ Jesus. See, the wages of sin are death, not swooning. The wages of sin are not a really bad beating. The wages of sin are not even torture. It's death. Sin gets paid in death. That's what it means, a wage. When sin works, it wants death. That's how it gets paid. The penalty for our sin was not just Jesus having a really bad day. It was Jesus dying because we needed a substitutionary atonement. We needed him to take our place. Just like the Passover lamb took our place, you take a baby sheep and you kill it, and then you spread the blood on the door frame so that the wrath of God passes over you. That is who Jesus is. And he had to die in order to pay the penalty for our sin. So it proves his humanity. His death actually pays the penalty for the entire sin of mankind. Hebrews says that he died once for all. That means that his momentary, this, this moment in time where Jesus dies, exploded in both directions through eternity because he is the eternal God and the incarnate Son dying. So that his death was efficacious.
for eternity. I know I'm way up here, so hold up. But it's important that we understand that his death really matters and why it matters. Lastly, if he's not dead, he doesn't raise from the dead. You can't have a really tired Jesus resurrecting. A, a resurrection means that Jesus was dead, like rigor mortis, dead, stiff, everything starting to rot, dead, just like Lazarus. Remember they said it's been four days there'll be a stench? Jesus was dead. Which means that when we come back to this text in January, he's still in the tomb. And he's going to be there until Resurrection Sunday, when he raises from the dead. But if he's not really dead, there is no resurrection. And none of us have any hope of eternal life. You see how much he hangs on the reality of his death? Jesus does not really die. There's no propitiation for our sins, and we remain the sin of mankind remains unatoned for, and you and I are not for. If Jesus is not really dead, then the resurrection is not true, and when these bodies die, that's it. There is no resurrection into newness of life. But everything hangs on this one thing that what John said is true. It's pretty ridiculous, I think, to joke, not to joke, but to hang all of this reality on the fact that we have a dead Savior. But that is why it's so important that he died, truly died. So, one, Jesus is dead. Second, it is finished. So then when he received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So John is the only person to record this. And when he said it is finished, Jesus is not saying what does He means that the atoning work on the cross was completed. So, why is that important? Well, he accomplished for us, but it was impossible for us to accomplish for ourselves. Yes? He was perfect died a perfect death and atoned for all the sins of all humanity for all time. That is the action that is finished here. That means that there can no longer be atonement for sin. What it means when he says it is finished is this. There is no longer a sacrifice for sin. So, let me say that again. There is no longer a sacrifice for sin. Every pagan in the world who sacrifices a goat or a chicken, or another human to try to appease God does so in ignorance of that reality. There is no sacrifice for sin. I don't know if you have tried to kill a chicken to sacrifice or make yourself appealing to God, or to appease a holy God. But perhaps you have thought, hmm, I think I'm probably going to get into heaven if I'm good enough. That's remarkably common. People think, you know, Good people go to heaven. If you're just good enough, all roads lead to Jesus. All roads lead to heaven. Good guys, if you're good enough, if your karma, good karma outweighs the bad karma, if, if, if the, the bad ledger is outweighed by the good ledger, I'll be okay. No, you won't. Why? Because all of that gets erased by Jesus. He was the one 
singular sacrifice for sin. The one. So that you cannot do anything to atone for your sin anymore. I don't care what you have done. I don't care how bad you think you've been, if you've lied or cheated or whatever. You cannot do anything to make yourself acceptable to God. Not one thing. And anything that you try to do to, to make yourself acceptable to God is idolatry. So, in this one singular phrase, Jesus sets free all believers for all time when he says, It is finished. When you as a child of God come before your Father and confess your sin to him, how does he respond to you? He says, My child, it is finished. Do not hold that sin against you. If you come up to God and you say, I have been wretched and I must do something to make you love me. I must do something to make myself acceptable before you. I recognize how holy you are and how wretched I am. What can I do, oh God? His response to you is, my child, it is finished. You, me, no one can make an atonement for our sin again. No one. No one. Only Jesus. And that is why I think when he takes that sour vinegar and he drinks it, he cried out, it is finished. And I don't know, I feel like there's probably some kind of an explosion that happened somewhere. I don't know where, surely there was. If explosions were that cool, then a heavenly explosion, I know for sure in hell that Satan knew he was screwed. <laughs> because he knows it's game over. Game over. The clock has run out. I'm done. You're not getting the ball back. It's over. It is finished. All Satan can do now is accuse you of sin. You understand that? That's all he can do. He's an accuser. He's really good. That's all he can do. He can roar, but he cannot apply the penalty of your sin to you anymore. Because that was all for Jesus. Praise the Lord, he's right. So, the reality that he was dead, when we look back on the cross, we stand right now in this in-between time. After the, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and, and before what we read about in Revelation, right? That's where we are. We're in this tension. So we look back to the cross, and we hold on to this reality that is finished. That means that whatever is gone in the past, that's where Paul is able to say, I, I, I let go of the things that are behind me. How many of you have things behind you that you've done that you wish you could go back and not do? Um, I do. I have stuff like that from this morning. I mean, it doesn't take me long to screw up in a day. But this echo, this shout, it is finished, echoes through all of eternity in this direction. And it just blows all of our stuff from the past away. All the fear, all the anxiety, all the worry, all the shoulda, woulda, coulda's. Don't go there. Why? Because it's finished. Look this way. Look this way. Looking forward to what's coming. I want you to turn with me in the book of Revelation, the last chapter of the book, chapter 42. I love the book of Revelation, by the way. I don't understand what's going on in it, but I love it. I need, I need this big, glowing, fiery, powerful Jesus. I need him. 
And that's who's in this book. Uh, I'll, be, I'll start in verse, in verse 12. This is, this is the, the, I would say the end of all things. This is really the beginning of how it should be. Jesus says in verse 12, Behold, I am coming soon. Now look at this. My reward is with me. How good do you think this reward is going to be? Great. Like, if we took all the words for great from all the languages that have ever been spoken, we're not even close, right, to how great Jesus' reward will be. And it's not going to be money. I don't know, it will be something Jesus-like, right? I am coming soon, and my reward, not your, but my reward is with me. And I will give it to everyone, look at this, according to what he has done. Before you get terrified, just hold on. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am everything. And all the things in between. I fill in all the spaces. That is me. Blessed are those, in verse 14, who wash their robes that they may have the right to the tree of life. I will give everyone according to what he has done. Jesus is coming back. Jesus was dead. The atoning sacrifice for humanity is finished. And he is coming back. This is not just something that John is writing because he thought the book needed a good ending. He's writing it because it's going to happen. Jesus will return, and when he does, he brings his reward with him. I want that reward. I don't know what it is, but it has to be greater than anything. Anything I can imagine it would be. My creativity is not very good. God was creative enough to say, let there be light, and there was light. I can't even think of what shoes match. And God has a reward for us, and it says, I will give it to everyone according to what he has done. Everyone, if what we do matters, it matters. For the believer, does it matter for salvation? It is finished. That's already done. And you believe that the finished work of Christ on the cross is enough, you are saved. I don't want to argue minutiae with you. If you believe you're saved and you walk in newness of life, as you walk in that newness of life, you do things. Right? What we do matters. Why? Because I want to live in a way that will receive a reward from my Jesus who's coming to save. Because the redemptive work of Christ is not yet complete. The atoning sacrifice is done. Never again will sin be atoned for. But the redemptive work of God in his creation, that has yet to happen. If you have any doubts about that, um, just look around. Anytime someone you love is sick or is dying, that's your plain reminder that Jesus' work is not finished. And that we wait now in this blessed hope that he is coming to make all things new. John said he knows that he tells the truth and he testifies 
so that you also may believe. Do you believe that what he has said is true? That Jesus died on that cross, and as he died on the cross, he proclaimed it is finished, and that sin was forever paid for. Do you believe that? If you do not believe that, believe it today that his work on the cross was enough to pay for all of your sin and all of mine. I promise you, if it was enough to pay for mine, you've got to get spades. It is finished. Do you believe that he is coming back? <laughs> I mean, man, what a, we have a crazy hope. A crazy hope that fiery Jesus is coming back. Not Jesus to come and die on the cross again. That will never happen. But our king is returning. And we need to live as kingdom people. We are priests. We have a ministry. We are in a kingdom. We have work to do. So live in light of his return. Does that give you perspective? Well, it should help us with the junk in the past. And it should help us as we wade through our present daily drudgery. Jesus is coming. When you are tired, when you are sick, when you are worn out, when your neighbor is a jerk, when your husband is a jerk, when your kids are running away from God, when the money doesn't make it, when you don't know what to do, when you're frustrated and scared and sad and worried, Jesus is coming and his it is finished is pushing you toward that goal. So stay faithful to him. Stay faithful to him. I don't want you to be faithful to me. I want you to be faithful to Jesus. Trust him and walk forward looking to that reward because he is coming and he is bringing it with him. Next week we start Edward. I thought this was such a fun place to leave off because we leave off with this Savior who has accomplished this incomprehensible work for us, right? And this hope that he is coming back. Advent is where we look back at his first coming, right? We're going to look back at the promises of Isaiah, that he is our counselor, our mighty God, our Prince of Peace. Look back at how that has been fulfilled in Jesus. But yet we look forward to his second coming. We are still in this waiting period until Jesus returns. And so we leave him here having finished the work. Have you ever finished something? And you have this incredible sense of accomplishment, right? All of us should share in the incredible thing that Christ accomplished on the cross. It is literally the hinge of history. Everything before it looked toward it. And even at the second coming of Jesus, it looks back to the reality that he was pierced for our transgressions. So stay faithful to him, to who he is, and to what he is doing. And when you get discouraged, cry out, call someone. Say, I'm discouraged in my walk today. I know he's coming, but I'm hurting today. Can you talk? It's just not that complicated. You don't have to have a master in counseling to talk to someone. Just open the Bible and read it to them. 
Open the Psalms and just read one. Share burdens. And so I fulfill the law of Christ as we walk toward his coming. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I love you. Oh, you are so good. I just proclaim, Lord Jesus, that you believe that the finished work on the cross is sufficient to save us. And I hang every one of my hopes on that single hook. And that same hook is anchored in the future. You who passed beyond the veil of death, and you hold all of our hopes in your hands, that you are coming to save us. Lord Jesus, help us live in light of the reality of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Help us live in the light of the reality of your imminent return. May you fill our hearts with a deep desire to receive the reward that you have for us. Not that we can earn it, but the reward of simply walking by faith with you. Anyone who is here today, if you are weary and heavy burdened, Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to Him. If you are burdened by your own sin, it is finished. Come to Him. If you are burdened by sadness, come to Him. If you are weary, come to Him and hang all your hopes on Him. He will always be faithful to you. Lord Jesus, help us to come to you again. As we sing this song, Lord Jesus, help us worship our Creator. Help us worship our God and our King. Help us bring our burdens to you. In Christ's name.